Association. 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 That was such uber ponage. Hello, fellow nerds. Welcome to the Nerd Association podcast from the WBNS FM studios here in Columbus, Ohio. I'm your host, Mark Finch. And I'm your other host, Daniel Barnett. And Mark, we're going to jump right into it. What do you think of when I say, let me let me do this as melodramatically as possible. Kong bows to no one. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, I mean, you, the, when you hear the word Kong, you think of only two things, King Kong and the dog toy. What about Donkey Kong? <laughs> oh, yeah. I guess. Well, Donkey Kong and King Kong, are right, they're related. Right. Okay. I, I mean, there's a reason he's called Donkey Kong, right? I mean, it's because of yes. King Kong. Yeah, but yeah. You're right. You're right. Um, and dog toys <laughs> can't bow. So I think you're talking about t- King Kong, and that's yeah. what we're talking about today. But not just King Kong. Godzilla too. Godzilla v Kong. (laughs) Yes. I, when I was making my notes for this, I was like, what was the name of that movie? Because I just been calling it like Godzilla versus Kong because that's what it is. Yeah. And I looked it up to be sure. And I was like, yep, there's no subtitle or anything. It's Godzilla versus Kong. They went, you know, short and sweet and to the point with this one. And that's what the movie is. And I should say it is versus it is not V in the same way that it was like Superman, Batman V Superman. This what is... would be the dawn dawn of what after Godzilla versus Kong? Oh, um, dawn of the new gods or something like that. Yeah, I don't know. or dawn of peace because yeah, maybe. Spoiler alert! Yeah, I don't want to. Yeah, let's... well, just well, yeah. I mean, okay. If you're listening to Nerd Association, if this is your first time, welcome. If it's not, you know that we don't care about spoiling your experience for the most part. Yeah. We're not great at the spoiler alert. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, spoiler alert: this whole podcast. What I was going to say is at the end, you could argue there's finally peace because Godzilla and King Kong kind of come to an agreement yeah. to just go their separate ways and live. You know, they don't have to fight each other to death. One on the surface and one in the in the hollow earth, which mm-hmm. obviously we'll talk about. So the Godzilla versus et cetera is an old naming convention from all the Toho films forever. It was always Godzilla versus other monster. And then there was usually some sort of a subtitle. As you noted, noted, this one doesn't have a subtitle, but it's, you know, to keep that similar to like the Universal Monster movies that we talked about in October, where at the end it was like Abbott and Costello meet the Wolfman yeah. and stuff like that. It was like, <laughs> who can we pair with Godzilla and people will watch it and it's fun. Yeah, it's just, it's very formulaic. But again, this is we've used this phrase before. This movie delivers what is on the tin, which is two big monsters that we've been building up now for a few movies finally meeting. I, I got to tell you, I thought I found it funny, but also jarring that opening scene where Kong like wakes up to Bobby Vinton, like rolls out of his, you know, his sleeping spot, stretches, uh-huh. goes and take a shower in the, in the, he like scratches his butt and everything. Yeah. He's like, he's like a lazy stoner waking up, yeah. <laughs> you know, and just like, this is what I do every day. And of course, you know, in the marketing leading up to this film, we have been led to believe, and in the, I guess in the, Kong Skull Island. We've been led to believe that King Kong, well, Kong, he's not King Kong yet, we'll get there, is on our side, the the side of humanity, right? That he is one mm-hmm. of the sort of the guardians of the new gods that have been sent to protect humanity from the things that come up from under the surface. So we've been set up in all the promotional material to think that Kong is good, Godzilla is bad. Yes. And in fact, the first portion of the movie proceeds kind of on that premise, although almost immediately they're like, there are detractors who are like, no, Godzilla can't be bad. There must be something else going on. Yeah. Well, and then the other thing is the the way they frame uh, Kong throughout it, too. He's he's the protagonist, which we're always inclined to treat the protagonist like the good guy, regardless of what actually is going on. I feel yeah. like that's just like ingrained in us. And this movie is definitely kong centric well and and of course you have to think too like kong is a primate like we are and so i think there's also mm-hmm. that element of it's easier to humanize him it's easier to give him expressions that are more like ours uh, in fact they bring in the thing about you know gorillas knowing si- some gorillas learning sign language which i thought actually was a really cool device because it has a real world yeah. cognate and especially because they had you know the the Here's the thing they're bad at in this movie is actually telling you what the characters' names are. It doesn't matter. We all know the real people's names. Just say they're real people's names. It, the Skarsgård is the one guy. <laughs> the 
Uh, I can't remember the the woman's name. Yeah, see, this but is then the there's problem. There's Billy Bobby Brown. There's yeah. Kyle Chandler. There's the kid from Deadpool too. That's what I. Do. Okay, I got it. I got it. I got it. I have the cast. There, like the cast and the character names now. So, Doctor Eileen Andrews is Rebecca Hall, and mm-hmm. she's the scientist that is in the Kong enclosure. She's the adoptive mother of Gia, and. <sighs> The last remaining native person of uh, Skull Island. The Iwi. The Iwi That's tribe, what they tell yeah. us, yeah. And I thought it was cool that, that Rebecca Hall, Dr. Andrews, was kind of a Jane Goodall character in this movie. Like like almost a, like a, a gorilla whisperer, if you want to. Mm-hmm. This movie is funny because there are so many things that are like are believable because they have real world cognates, right? Kong learning yes. sign language, having like scientists that are so into primate behavior and like their anthropology and then they kind of met that halfway with like the original story of king kong or the one you think of the most where like he's captive but he's captive on his own island and they just are protecting him from this storm so it's not as quite as bad as bringing him to broadway and making him a spectacle but he's still captive well and he ends up he ends up still kind of being used as a tool not for entertainment but for defense in this case right yes i thought that this movie glorifies conspiratorial thinking in a way that i'm a little uncomfortable with given the current uh political climate (laughs) Yeah, because you're right. I mean, they have the well. One, the the podcasting is just used as a device for, you know, it's just a uh, an exposition device. But you're right. They have that podcaster guy, and not only does he think these things, he works for this company, and he's right. Correct. Like about, I mean, he he didn't have all the details exact, but But, he was right. Yeah, he's he's (laughs) essentially right about everything. Well, I I do think it's interesting that they use that. You know, Millie Bobby Brown playing uh, Madison Russell is the daughter of the two scientists from previous movies um in particular emma russell who was the one that used like sonar technology to wake up all the other monsters that then godzilla has to show up and fight perfect timing for for that opening sequence because they do like a bracket and i was like godzilla's the winner of march madness (laughs) yes i thought that was very funny and very timely and i don't know if they did that knowing for certain it was going to release in this part of the year but I thought that was pretty perfect. Yeah, I mean, everybody's thinking about brackets at this time of year anyway, so you do that with Godzilla, and it looks it's totally visually what you're used to looking at. That opening sequence, by the way, gives you a whole lot of information. I actually took the time, because I could tell right away, like, oh, I should go through this almost frame by frame. Um, gives you a lot of information up front about this movie. Uh, tells you that uh, Isa Gonzalez, who plays Maya Simmons, the daughter of the Apex CEO, um, tells you she's gonna die right up front, essentially. Well, they also tell you that the way they have her character act, but yeah, but I mean, but before the movie even starts, they yeah. basically say like many have gone down, tried to go down into the Hollow Earth, and through their own pride have died, and that's like with her, and then they redact it. Um, they tell you that this is gonna be a redemption story for Doctor Lind, Alexander Skarsgård. They tell you that with the, they even in the mural of the ancient war between the Kongs and the Zillas. They show King Kong wielding an axe, and in his okay. bio they say like capable of using tools, i.e., axe. <laughs> and I so I thought like they're giving you quite a bit up front, which was interesting. Which you know, in a movie theater is just like maybe you'll catch a few of them, right. but when it's streaming at home, you can yeah. right away. But you like that kind of stuff. You like getting as much information before you watch it. I so, think it's like, well. I think it's clever because, as you said, no one's going to catch all of that on the first viewing. Mm-hmm. I mean, even in a streaming sense, who does that? I did it because I knew I was going to be talking about it for an hour. <laughs> I wouldn't have done that. Yeah, I wouldn't have done that if I was casually watching it. Just so at the, at the well, if there were a water cooler right now, you could be like, did you guys see this at the beginning of the Kong movie? Like, yeah. okay. So anyway, they set, they set that up. They set up Kong to be really likable. And of course, almost immediately with the, the introduction of the podcast and the conspiratorial stuff. And by the way, I think it's interesting I, I, I got away from this. Millie Bobby Brown's character, Madison Russell, obviously loves this conspiracy podcast, clearly is like fighting back against the fact that both her parents are scientists and it, and science killed her mother, right? Mm-hmm. There are, she basically has one of those like uh, yarn boards where you like tack stuff to it and like put pieces of string between different points. It's not yeah. explicitly that, like it doesn't actually have the red string, but it's that sort of a thing. And right next to the article about her mom where it's like savior or villain 
there's a pamphlet that's like talking about demonology and how the like the end times are coming uh which i thought was really like she's in deep i guess is my point she's like yes. real far into well that would that's what makes me question like the whole the whole thing of that because like okay she this girl can figure this out just by being a a fan of his podcast but he works for this giant tech company and they can't figure it out are they not looking for him or he seems big enough that she knows about the podcast i thought that was funny too that like these two teenagers can figure it out but like one of them the richest most powerful corporations on earth can't yeah doing a lot of other things you think they'd be able to peg this down and this like guy who's in maintenance can sneak his way into this top secret part of this and and that like obviously the worker that he goes and makes uncomfortable like you're not supposed to be here but like he does. He puts a, a yeah. USB stick in and downloads it. It just so happens that a Godzilla attack happens to distract security, but you have to think that they were aware of a breach and on their way, and they keep operating like nothing's happened. You know, Apex mm -hmm. keeps operating. Godzilla attacks one of your facilities, and you. I guess the point is that you're creating uh, a thing to fight Godzilla, so I guess you would keep going. On that note, the like business as usual, they like go back and they like sneak in a week after that attack. One, wouldn't that be under like harsher security? Like <laughs> everything just falls into line for them as they keep, yeah. you know, they, they kind of stumble into it. It's not exactly their plan, but it's along the lines of what they were trying to do. And they keep getting further and further in without being detected or anything. And at the site, uh, in uh, what is that, Pensacola, yeah. where it's it, there's like still like active sparks flying and stuff right. i'm like hasn't it been like a week since this attack wouldn't they like have this electricity shut off or something like there's just wires out sparking in the middle yeah. of this rubble i mean of course and as we said like there isn't a whole lot of deep storytelling about this movie which is good yes it's good that it again it it delivers like you know this is basically a setup to see two big well three great big things fight but as I said to you before we started recording, the thing that's funny about this movie and the like the series of movies they've now made, the monster verse of like Godzilla, Kong Skull Island, uh, you know, the Rise of the Monsters, I think was the third one. Is that what King of the Monsters? King of the Monsters, thank you. And then this one. There's this like really surprisingly deep world building that's going on with these movies. And it's funny because the story, like the t storytelling of each individual movie, is fairly shallow, but the world that they're setting up to explain these things is quite well thought out or quite deeply thought out. Except, I will say they let the they let the technology jump a little too far. Sure. In this one, yeah, yeah. the first, the other three are a little more ground. I mean, one is based in like the '70s or whatever, the yeah. Kong Skull Island, so that's a completely different monster. But no pun intended. But the uh, like the first Godzilla, that's in 2014, and it's just like it's like military stuff, and they're trying to fight him like in ways that we would probably try to fight a giant monster if that were to happen. And in this one, they have these like flying spaceships that they're yeah. taking into the center of the earth it's a little far of a leap but whatever big monster movie i'll, I'll let it slide but it, it's a they could have set that up that like technology was like you know in this alternate universe was a little bit further along or that there were more things like this sure i i want to can we talk about the science for a second can we talk about the, the broadly the science of all of these movies and then question for you yeah. on this is the hollow earth like a thing for like the Godzilla or King Kong universe, or is that like a like a theory? Not that it, not that anybody actually believes it, but is it like a thing from other monster type things, or is that just exclusive to this franchise? Well, um, Chops, I think you'll be surprised for me to tell you that it was the working theory of how the world was made for a long time. Okay, <laughs> uh, there were so there were two schools actually in the early twentieth century, late late 19th early 20th century there were two schools of scientific thought about what like the composition of the inside of the earth and a okay. lot of people believed that you know you can access deeper into the earth through caves right there are cave systems and so a lot mm -hmm. of people believe that the basically the interior of the earth had these big pockets in it you know that if you went deep enough that the inside of the world is was would be hollow and of course some scientists i mean we, we would call them crackpots now but some scientists believe that like missing civilizations a, a whole alternate history was going on inside the interior of the earth and in fact scientific expeditions were 
funded by governments to try to go as deep into the earth as possible and figure out what's down there. And of course, because we're humans, to claim it for the surface. Yeah. I know the earth has a molten core and I know what the real earth is, but I, I got to be honest. Yeah. If you don't have any other, any other evidence to point anything else out, it sounds kind of believable. I can see why real men of science, you know, 100, 200 years ago, were like thinking about this. If you, yeah, if you think about the logical conclusions of what we know about the surface of the earth, then yeah, I can see why one might arrive at the conclusion that, well, the interior of the earth is probably not too dissimilar to the exterior of the earth and that it's full of pockets and holes and craggy blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, Jules Verne and Edgar Rice Burroughs, who's famous for writing like Tarzan and John Carter of Mars, uh, but also wrote a series of books about the hollow earth that started with a book called At the Earth's Core. Science fiction writers of the time took this idea and ran with it. Jules Verne famously wrote, you know, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, Around the World in 80 Days, and he wrote a book called Journey to the Center of the Earth that mm-hmm. is very much this idea that there is there are whole cultures even in the Time Machine, the book The Time Machine by H.G. Wells, there's this idea that the Morlocks, the sort of underground people, live in the center of the planet while the other people get to live on the surface. Okay, so that answers my question very thoroughly, that yeah, the sorry. hollow earth is a is a at one point a real theory and at the very least a, a very popular thing to explore in science fiction. And unfortunately, there's, there's a lot about this movie that is sort of um, under the surface very uncomfortable. And I don't, and I guess pun pun not intended, but Hollow Earth is also a large portion of like lizard men theories, like present day okay, conspiracy yeah. theories that in fact there is a whole race of like super overseers that live either on the moon or in the moon or in the earth, which is real uncomfortable because like we don't have to get into it on this podcast, but the whole lizard man thing yeah. is a huge, like very, like fairly thinly veiled anti-Semitic thing from like, you know, the past 150 years. Yeah. Well, and conspiracy theories are just getting a little too believed nowadays. Correct. It's one thing when they're just like things on the edges of the internet and stuff like that, but now they're kind of yeah. getting into the real internet. And, and, and it's interesting how it, a character like Bernie, yeah. <laughs> even 20 years ago, you could kind of make him the lovable goof. And they try to do that in this movie. But in this day and age, it's harder to portray someone who's like talking about how fluoride is Nazi mind control and like bathing in bleach to get rid of any nano tracking devices is like a little too. Yeah, this movie's uh, this movie's smarter than like a Roland Emmerich film, but it, which isn't saying much. Yeah, I'm not calling this movie smart. I'm just calling Roland Emmerich movies really, really dumb. But like in 2012, uh, Woody Harrelson plays that character right. and it's all for laughs. But right. I guess yeah. they always get their little comeuppance because like the things are happening. But you're right. There's a little too much real world correlation with conspiracy theorists now in this one. He's right. Usually they're not. They're like maybe half right. They like get some things right. This guy's like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm on it almost a hundred percent. Let I want to talk more about the science. We're not done yet. Okay. Hollow, Hollow Earth <laughs> is one portion. I want to talk about gravity and Hollow Earth in a minute. But there's this long-standing issue in the scientific community who you know, nerds like to think about, like do thought experiments. What if Godzilla were real? What if Kong were real? How would that work? Would it work? And the answer has always been. A creature that large couldn't support its own weight. Or find enough calories to, like, live all that and use all that energy. And so, you know, there's always been this issue of, like, Godzilla towering at 400 feet tall would actually have to be built more like an elephant, right? Huge, stocky legs, all of the weight centered over them. And, yeah, how the calories it would take to power, etc., uh, a Kong wouldn't mm-hmm. be capable of bipedal movement because, again, the, the bones would not support it. The bones themselves would be so oppressively heavy that one stacked on top of the other would have to crush Now, it. is this this size Kong, or does this also include the normal size Kong, who's only like 30 feet tall? Well, normal size Kong's 100 feet tall, because I looked into okay. this. Because like, they show him in the 70s, and he has grown since then to be closer to Godzilla size. Mm-hmm. But even that Kong, 100 feet tall, think about the fact like a blue whale, the largest creature living on Earth today, has to live in the water to sort of offset the gravity, the effect of gravity on it. If a blue mm-hmm. whale were just like placed gently onto dry land, it would be it would die of suffocation from its own weight. It would crush itself to death. Now, here's a thing that these movies have done to explain that away, which I think is actually interesting and good. This is some of the world building. 
In previous movies, they've set up that Godzilla and Kong and the other monsters are capital T titans, like Greek mythology-style yes. titans, as in the things that could fight gods successfully. Mm-hmm. And that, in a way, it's almost like a Lovecraftian mythos, that they're almost these like avatars of Godzilla and the other reptilian ones are kind of like avatars of the old gods. Again, a little bit too close to like the lizard person theory of creation on Earth. Uh, again, we don't have to get into it here, but it's kind of uncomfortable because it's pretty close to that idea that there used to be super intelligent lizard people and they used humans as an experiment and they're secretly controlling them. Okay, so Godzilla and his other reptilian buddies are the old, the avatars of the old gods or the titans of the old gods and that Kong is one of the titans of the new gods sent to protect mankind and keep these ugly reptilian things from coming out of the earth and beating them back that skull island is kind of that concept right with the skull crawlers skull, skull crawlers. walkers yeah it's crawlers yeah so they've answered the question of well how do these things even exist that wouldn't they be crushed under their own weight by basically saying no these are supernatural creatures they are unto gods i think that's clever it it answers a lot of the questions and then let's just go okay they don't have to follow our rules our rules of physics but what's interesting is that okay they've established that as canon and that answers some questions except in a in a uh, a way that sort of fundamentally misunderstands gravity there then they posit the theory that hollow earth you know there's that part where kong kind of moon style floats from one ha- like hemisphere yeah. of hollow earth to the other gracefully. That the gravity is, you know, the gravity is always pulling into the center of the earth, but when you're in the center of the earth, the gravity is on either side of the middle. And therefore is like, n- doesn't affect creatures in the same way that it does on the surface, which means like mm-hmm. things could grow taller because gravity is weird down here. But that shows a fundamental misunderstanding of how gravity works. <laughs> also, <laughs> um, and the reason the hollow earth thing can't be true, right? So the reason that that, yes. that science realized, oh, you know what? The center of the earth has to be not only molten and like full of stuff, it has to be really dense stuff because gravity is created by large objects acting on smaller objects, but it's also proportional to the, it's the density and the mass of the object, right? So if yeah. Earth is full of little air pockets, it's not dense enough to exert the forces on people that it does. Yeah. So, but again, it like plays, and I'm not asking my, my Godzilla and Kong movies to be scientifically sound necessarily. And I think what they did was super cool visually and like story-wise, but it's just interesting that they did take the steps to try to scientifically kind of scientifically explain Godzilla and Kong as like, well, they don't follow our rules because they're supernatural. But and then in other parts, just like double. threw all that out of there and was like, here's a cool thing that we can do with CGI. Yeah, it was weird. And then the whole thing where they had to like go through 2001, a space odyssey, like, like acid trip tunnel to get to the center of the earth. It reminds me of when Michael Jordan gets taken down into Looney Tune land yeah. in Space Jam. And they could have they could have literally gone through the Warner Brothers logo because it's still a Warner Brothers movie. Or like Perfect. in in uh, was it Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two where they like made too many jumps at once and their eyeball like Bleh! their eyeballs yeah. were, it was kind of I like always that. think of like Spaceballs where they're like oh no we've gone plaid yeah I like that joke <laughs> that, that's kind of what it reminds me of when you have scenes like that yeah again science all over the place but I'm not asking for that just you know this is our show like why are you listening if you don't want this <laughs> one last for me another yeah. thing on the Hollow Earth is. Uh, there seemed to be like an attempt to put creatures down there, but then like they get there, there's some birds. Then he kills those two like dragon creatures. And then he really doesn't encounter any other creatures while yeah, he's down there. Yeah, there's like the crabs that then the big thing comes and eat sort of as a like nod. Yeah. And then, yeah. And then he goes and has his, uh, you know, uh, he becomes King Kong. He sits on the throne, right? Yep. By the way, did you notice uh, when we completely walked over the scene, but, did you notice that in the scene where he's strapped to the aircraft carrier, they're playing Elvis, which was, of course, Elvis's nickname was. Oh, the king? Yeah. I get it now. Yeah. I see what you're saying. Um, I thought that was a probably a pretty deliberate choice. Mm-hmm. But any in any case, it is funny that he becomes king, right? He sits on the throne. He takes yes. up the axe that is the like ancestral weapon of his people, made of a dorsal fin of a previous Zilla. You know, it gives him that it's both a weapon and a shield because it can absorb the radiation. 
that's what I don't. Okay, so in this Godzilla universe, are they implying that the atomic bomb supercharged Godzilla or just woke him up? Or what is the implication there? Because it seems like these things are ancient. And did Godzilla always have this nuclear breath? So then why do they focus so much on like the testing of the atomic bomb? So the Toho movies, the original Godzilla movies, you have to mm-hmm. understand, first of all, they were movies that, that played with Japanese anxiety over atomic weaponry because, of course, yep. World War II ended with Japan taking two atomic bombs. Um, and so, you know, Godzilla at that time represented nuclear fear and this idea that atomic weaponry was a monster we have woken up that we can't put back to bed. Therefore, Godzilla in those movies is a sea creature that through the radioactivity of the atomic bombs grows to massive size, gets mm. this atomic breath. He is an atomic monster because he was created by the fallout of atomic weaponry and also yeah. represents the fear of atomic weaponry. And that's why in those movies, Godzilla always wrecks a city. He levels a city in one in those movies yep. because that was a familiar thing to people of in Japan of the time. They, it's interesting, and you, you kind of played on it here, that this most recent incarnation there is this focus on the fact that like the atomic bomb has something to do with Godzilla, but I think there's more of the implication. Yeah. That is it that w- just like an Easter egg they're trying to throw in there to yeah. just kind of, it's, you know, related to old Godzilla movies. Cause because the first one too, like it's at like a nuclear power plant where the monsters come up the 2014 Godzilla. So there's, there's they they like to play with this nuclear stuff, yeah. but their other, the other explanations they give as the series goes on, show that it has nothing to do with yeah. that maybe it woke them up maybe but it's not the reason they're giant monsters right i think that is the implication in these films that the that the atomic energy woke them up but i mean this this movie explicitly shows you that it's not what gave them atomic powers because that atomic energy is in the center of the earth that's what they're going to harness right yes. is that sort of ancient nuclear style energy it, I, yeah, it's inconsistent Which and whatever. They also yeah. they also take a, a they also take some of it and then download the yeah. energy information <laughs> and then upload that. I, what I, was that? That's where I was like, how did that? How did how did taking a little piece of it download the energy into Mecha Godzilla? I was I thought that was super weird because you assume they were gonna ha- like be- like charge a battery essentially right they're gonna charge a battery with it they're gonna take it up they're gonna put it in mecha godzilla yeah it's more like we had yeah well we analyzed the the signature of the energy and now we can recreate it you couldn't figure that out before couldn't you have done that by somehow analyzing the the nuclear breath yeah. uh, or things that were singed in the nuclear i don't yeah that didn't make not that all of it has to make perfect sense so that no. one was like that that doesn't make any sense to me that was the thing in the movie that i couldn't forgive that that one was too dumb I, could, I think they wanted you to hopefully, yeah, like look past it and be like, Mechagodzilla's here. Don't yeah. don't worry about that. Look at this thing. Yeah. Also, it's interesting. You know, Godzilla has atomic breath, but people can be standing like five feet away from where the the holes are and not immediately get stage four cancer. And I don't not to make yeah. I'm not trying to make fun of cancer, but like if you were that close to that amount of radiation and didn't get instantly incinerated, you would be dead from radiation poisoning so fast. yeah like the uh the show chernobyl does a really good job of depicting that like the yeah. firefighters who showed up after the meltdown like right away there's like a guy who picks up a piece of the uh what is it Gra- graphite yeah, yeah i think yeah. it is he picks it up and then immediately like seconds later his hand is just burning off yeah everything else i could just sort of like chuckle a little to myself that was just like oh because it's yeah it's 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 uh, I know he's I know he's uh, he's a gorilla, but, you know, it's big monkey fights, big lizard movie. Yeah. Like, it's fine. You know, just like I that's what I want to see. And we're going to get to the fights in just a second. <laughs> I want to talk a little bit more about the people. Yeah. Kyle Chandler. I know he's busy. The worst not father dad ever. The worst father of any movie I've ever seen. He's just like, don't listen to that conspiracy theorist. And she's like, OK, dad. And then she just like drives to Florida with her friend. Like, I don't know where she's, I don't know where she is when they start that, but they drive to Florida. Then they go through a, a series of things and somehow they end up in Hong Kong. I don't know what this like light speed underground yeah, tunnel, tunnel rail that, that they have. Okay. I, I'm, I'm not a parent, but I, I mean, I'm a human. If I, if my teenage daughter 
sent called me on my cell phone and then texted me with question marks and then texted me with or texted me with where are you I need to talk to you immediately. I don't care what was else is going on. You would pick up the damn phone and call her back and say, "Hi, child, oh mine, well, are you okay?" Especially in this instance yes. with what is going on, <laughs> like she has like a connection to Godzilla based on the previous movie. So if something's going on with Godzilla, you have to think that like, and your daughter—it's not a coincidence that your daughter's in trouble at the same time something's going on with Godzilla. And I know that's also your job, but like, yeah, yeah. it's it's crazy, terrible father. And you've pointed out too that like there's like a week that passes. So this means he hasn't seen or heard from his daughter in a week. And she calls him like in a panic and you still aren't concerned. She leaves in a van and goes to Florida and she's gone for a week with, and he doesn't know under the circumstances, but she's not at home. <laughs> nah, it's okay because he just finds her immediately in the rubble of Hong Kong. Yeah. That which fight uh, over, just fight over. Oh, there she is. <laughs> yeah. I found that. I found his character entirely unnecessary to the plot, one, and two, infuriating. I think they just wanted another name to attach to it, and he had been in the previous one, so they didn't have to write a character and just throw him in there. I know why he was there. I'm just saying, like, I I found him to be infuriating. Yes. And then Millie Bobby Brown, her character, just like, again with the conspiracy theorist thing and then her like she's right to believe this guy and then they just keep they just go well what about this door well what if we go in here why do they have that oh we're in the middle of, we're talking to the bad guy yes. the main bad guy who's in this underground bunker and after a series of foibles that got us here here we are talking to this guy so that's another thing that they just you know they they just stumble for an hour and a half until they're face to face with the lead bad guy underground yeah yeah, it's 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 almost like an Abbott and Costello thing. They just like Pratt fall, you know, Pratt fell their way right. into yeah, and down to like the kids ten dollar. The guy won't tell them who buys all the bleach, and then he bribes them with ten dollars, and that works. Yeah, I I thought the Josh character was funny. I thought he was like, but he was also just one entirely unnecessary. He did nothing except have a few like one liners, and he figured out to pour water or whiskey i guess on electronics which like most people could make that jump you don't need a special character to think of that here's a supercomputer i bet if i can figure out the password i can do something first of all (laughs) they were just actively doing testing on this thing i have a feeling the password's unnecessary it's probably just you know turned on and and logged in yeah logged in and second of all like uh, it just the whole I know they were doing it for a joke and to be like he's never going to get it like I went to computer camp one time <laughs> like the it's a joke of the old hacker where they just <laughs> I know I know but like subverting the trope is it, subverting the trope is only good when it's like good or useful and it's not even it's not that and it's really not even that funny. It's better to go the other way where he's like, you went to computer camp, you can go. And he's like, and then he explains like, this is a supercomputer of a a multi-billion dollar company. There's no way I could do this. Blah blah. And then Millie Bobby Brown is like, what about this sticky note? Like that would be a better joke. Like we're we're like the password's just written down somewhere. Or give her the moment where she like grabs the flask out of the thing and pours Mm -hmm. it in the, like give. Yeah. Anyway. But then that literally gives him nothing to do. But that's what I'm saying. I don't think he's a necessary character. I think there's a lot of n- unnecessary characters that don't really add anything to these to this movie. To yes, but they don't spend too much time. Like they don't make uh, Alexander Skarsgård and Rebecca Hall's character like love interests. Really, right. yeah, yeah. They don't like waste our time with stuff like that. Like it, the the human drama is based around the monsters. And getting stuff for Mechagodzilla and stuff like it's not it's none of the people drama, which is good. Yeah, we don't need that in this one. And I will say, like the I said that the opening was kind of jarring, and then like the end when he's on, uh, you know, in Hollow Earth as his new kingdom, Kong's new kingdom. I kind of appreciated that that scene was all of two minutes long, and came with the, like the music montage. I think it's funny that Kong is like his soundtrack is you know songs from the the 50s 60s and 70s essentially mm-hmm. one last thing on the people yeah. uh tech tech villains are the new business villains so it's not just like the it's really weird this has totally shifted in probably the last 15 years or so because it used to be you know essentially villains were based off of like the donald trump 
archetype of like greedy businessmen, doesn't care about people, only cares about profits. And now it's these tech guys and they're they're framed like how we you know, see tech people, but then at a certain point it turns and it's like all fake altruism that is really just about yeah. advancing their technological plot. So similar, but different. And I've noticed that JLo and I just watched two shows actually that where the tech guy is the, is the villain, this new made for love show on yeah. HBO starring Kristen Milnati. Um, and then the a show on Netflix called the one where they invent a software that genetic like matches you with somebody based on your genes and your and like the, the lady, the tech lady is like the villain of the show. Yeah. And so that's like now I feel like we're just going to see over the next decade endless tech villains. I mean, so it, that has always been a trope of like the Bond films, for instance. Right. But like really pulpy, like pulp fiction and i don't mean like the quentin tarantino movie i mean yeah. the, like you know like of the pulp novels of the 20s 30s 40s where it's just this like action adventure villain so you know in that context you could believe and i guess it makes sense then for like a big monster movie but you're right it's becoming a more popular trope where not like more mainstream drama is pointing to big brother instead of the wall street guy yeah. it's the silicon valley guy exactly now i also think it's interesting how like his motivation is is just toxic max masculinity with a lot of money behind it. He's just like some creature will not be the apex predator. Man is the apex predator. I like how when he's down there, I mean, he's sort of celebrating, but he's drinking the whole time. Yeah, I thought of that too. That he's like, <laughs> like, isn't is he drunk at this point? Maybe it is funny how well, and it shows you how really inconsequential he is because he's he's getting wasted. Yeah, you're right. He's not. Do he's just in charge. But he's not, he's not. He's an, he's an ideas guy. You know what I mean? Yeah. He's not a. <laughs> he's not a. They've practical. all take. Yeah, his his CTO guy is taken over, even though he can still order that guy around. Okay. Ren Serizawa is the the guy who pilots Mechagodzilla. Yes. Do you under do you, do you understand that he was in fact the son of the scientist from the previous movies that was like we can't we shouldn't be screwing with this t technology like. These creatures are like will keep their own peace if we don't mess with them. No, I did not know that. And then he dies to bring Godzilla back to fight the in King of Mon the Monsters. He dies to bring Godzilla back to fight all the the other monsters. Yeah. So he's the son of that guy. So there is this thread that if you know if you like pay attention is personal. He's like I'm gonna kill Godzilla because my dad died because of Godzilla. Even though his dad died because he believed in Godzilla and that Godzilla was good. He's like turned mm -hmm. this into a personal vendetta. There's and and you only get that from the one scene where he like stares down Godzilla from a distance and furrows his brow, like I'm not <laughs> afraid of you. I'm coming for you, buddy. And then it does not work out for him. Yeah, I mean, and they, the thing that's sad about that is I thought the using the like Ghidorah psionics angle was really cool because that's a thing yeah. from old Godzilla movies that like Mecha Godzilla is built partially from the parts of other monsters and then partially from technology. So it's this like technological abomination that also utilizes parts of these evil monsters and that's why it turn ends up turning against people and becoming evil, right? Mm -hmm. And I liked this the explanation that uh King that Ghidorah's necks are so long that he has to use telepathy for his heads to communicate. Yeah. Instead of uh instead of like just neural pathways, which is like, okay, whatever. Um, it's not like your neurons fire at the speed of light or anything. <laughs> which I mean, I guess if I had multiple heads, it would feel like telepathy. Sure, yeah. But <laughs> but no, it it, it, it literally is. Yeah. I, they they I don't know if you noticed that they foreshadowed the Ghidorah thing in the fact that Mecha Godzilla's roar is three pitches back to back. It like you know how oh. Godzilla's roar is like it one big noise, but it's like multiple layers of sounds. Mecha Godzilla's like comes in one at a time, and it's three pitches, like and then it all becomes one thing. Um, <laughs> did you do the? Did you do the voice acting for that? Yeah, that I sounded, did actually. I did the foley work. Accurate. I did the foley work for it, and went in, went and then they just like put it through a bunch of filters. Just. To I can just imagine you up in your attic, like slamming, <laughs> you know, branches and metal together and being like, this is what it'll sound like when he hits the building. It's like taking taking my recording of like me strumming a piano wire with a metal nail and then like, you know, putting my voice on. Anyway, taking a baking sheet. <laughs> 
this is this is just this is just turned wait this is just turned into like a joke about prairie home companion essentially <laughs> anyway okay so yeah let's so that talk takes about us to fight. where those sounds would be used the the big the the money maker of it there are three there's two fights and there's a third action scene where godzilla attacks pensacola yeah well there are three fights well right? I, yeah i guess you're right there are three fights yeah it's the same that yeah, because th th that fight ends, and you're, you're right. Then there's a third one. It's the same location. Well, because and they distinctly say like this round went to Kong, this round went to Godzilla. Like you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and they wanted to, they wa they wanted to have their cake and eat it too with the fights. So they when they and it's just one v one. They do have like Kong lose and that like because that's I think what would happen. Like yeah. even though this is all arbitrary, that's what to me that's the way they set it up is that Godzilla is going to be more powerful, but then he needs Kong later. Let's talk about. And I want to talk about the fights, but let's talk about the build up to it because, of course, this movie is called Godzilla versus Kong, and all the marketing sets it up that Kong's your good guy, Godzilla's your bad guy, and they're gonna fight. But let's look at this from a movie making point of view. They've made two now, a th like two and a half movies about Godzilla. They've made Skull Island for Kong and this one for Kong. Yep. These are two franchises that they they know are gonna make money. Because people will go to see big monsters fight good. Although I, I, there are four movies in this franchise, and I don't think it really has any fans. People do go see them; they make money, and we talk about them when they come out. Yeah, but are there really fans of this this iteration of Kong and Godzilla? I don't I, think so. I don't know. Nerd Association, tell us: Are you big Godzilla and/or King Kong heads? Because I don't. I'm. I'm not. I think they're fun, but I'm not. I wouldn't consider myself like, oh, I'm a a fan of either one of them. Yeah, not like the way people are with DC and Marvel and Star Wars yeah. and stuff like that. The point being, in the same way that like Batman v Superman always had to end with them teaming up, it you you couldn't have a property with these two big IPs where they fight each other and one of them is actually the villain. They have yeah. to they have to set it up so that like oh one's oh who knows in all the promotion oh who knows but then there's got to be like a secret third character a foe that they have to team up to fight. And you knew mm -hmm. that was going to be the case with this movie. They were very good about not spoiling Mecha Godzilla, but it's what it had to be because he killed Ghidorah. You know what I mean? He killed the other big, obvious monster that was going to come in and fight. King yep. Kong doesn't historically have enemies that are notable. Name name me a King Kong enemy. Beauty. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Um, <laughs> so you said you put that one on a tee. I had yeah, to. Yeah. Uh, you're right. You're right. So you knew it. There had to be some monster, and I, I, I went into it pretty much knowing or figuring at least it was going to be Mecha Godzilla. So you knew, yeah, and you knew that they were going to have to have several fights, and that they were always going to have to, you know, have one get the best of the other in one fight, and one get the best of the other in the other fight, and a defibrillator spaceship used yeah, in between. That was that again unnecessary and stupid. All they would have had to do is have like have the little girl Gia go up and like cry a tear on his cheek or something anyway. And yeah. And then he becomes inspired to get up for her or whatever. Yeah. But <laughs> well, cause you're right. Cause like they write off these monsters, like they don't apply to our physiology and stuff like that. And then you can just do a normal defibrillator type. I mean, it's, that's what it is. Yeah. At least yeah. it's what they frame it as. Yeah. Um, yeah. Except it's just a big atomic explosion on his chest, which I thought's funny anyway. <laughs> So yeah, let's talk about the let's talk about the 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 fight in the ocean. Yes, uh, again, super unbelievable that they're just like jumping back and forth onto aircraft carriers and battleships. Also, who in the U.S. military approved using half of the fleet for this? Yeah, that well, that company's like, we think there's probably a Hollow Earth, and we think we could probably get to it, and we'll need to we'll have to do that to fight Godzilla. So, can you just? Give us billion trillions of dollars worth of equipment and yeah, travel with us. I mean, I, I guess it's probably a commentary on like the the military industrial complex. It would have made more sense if it was like other countries' navies too, or a private apex fleet or something. Yeah, something because it, it it does not go well for. I mean, I guess they save the day technically, but it really doesn't go well for the United States investment. They no. lose everything they lose yeah all but like one ship goes down with uh, you know hundreds maybe thousands of personnel yeah yeah you got to believe that this would be a very unpopular decision the moment it hit the media 
which they also like do like little things to make Godzilla more of the villain. Like they show him and like when Godzilla kills like uh, ships it's or planes, it's very clear that like the pilot is still in the jet. Yeah. But then when Kong throws a jet with yeah. a guy in it, they do a point to go to a cut scene where he ejects out of it because Kong's not going to kill a pilot, guys. Yeah. He doesn't know what he's doing. He would have killed that pilot, but they, they frame it. Again. What was clever in that scene was that they used um, tropes from Jaws to depict Godzilla. So you have the shot of him like coming up under the water. His fin yeah. is a prominent thing that like crashes ships in half. And there's even that part where the like half of a battleship gets tethered to him with an anchor and he goes and it's like the buoy from Jaws. You know, when they like shoot the buoy into the shark and you like mm-hmm. can track its movement because of that. So they played that up really well in like making and by the way, I'm super glad that they had Godzilla basically just like own Kong in that fight. Yeah. On his turf, he should like just own Kong. And basically Kong did have to lay down and you know, they end up shutting off all the equipment on the fleet to basically say to Godzilla, we give up. Yeah, Kong's looking around like you know, he does like the lily pad thing and he still doesn't really gain any advantage and he's just like this isn't gonna work did it bother you at all like there's this they build up this suspense throughout the first part of the movie that's like if godzilla like if kong is out of this thing godzilla will find him and kill him and everyone's certain of this and then they're right no godzilla godzilla could have killed kong multiple times uh well i thought well i he they were right about him searching for him they're right about that part but like at at every juncture, Godzilla lets Kong live. You know what I mean? Yeah, you're right. I mean, he doesn't like. He, there's no double tap in this, right? You know, he's just like good enough. He's weak. I, I I've done my job. Right in the battleship scene, he knows he's not dead. The thing that convinces him to go away is that the fleet turns off all their engines. He does that thing where he's standing on his chest. We don't. Re- it doesn't. It's not really clear that like. Godzilla knows Kong is going to die. In fact, we don't know Kong is dying until the girl tells us. In the in the first one in 2014 when he finally gets the advantage, it's not Mothra, it's a different type of flying monster, yeah. but he like opens up the thing's mouth and breathes his the kiss atomic of breath into it like yeah. making sure that this is taken care of. Precisely. And you're right, he does not do that with Kong at all. He never like I mean he he fights Kong, but like as soon as he gets like the advantage, he's like good bout guy yeah. see you later see you next fight and they frame it like these are i mean these are these are big, wild animals so to speak they're like creatures that in the wild you would make sure a thing is dead you know you would right because when he's going the... through the bracket he doesn't just let them die based on their injuries i'm right. sure he finishes them off as you said the kiss of death like he he breathes radiation down a thing's neck you can't come up with a more explicit way. Like Godzilla kills things dead. That's his mo. I don't know that. That was another thing that I kind of like uh, stretched my suspension of disbelief a little bit. Okay, then leading into the second fight, something that I'm not sure about. Yeah. Godzilla's atomic breath very strong. Yeah, sure. Can it breathe an entire tunnel in a matter of a minute? <laughs> yeah, to the center of the earth. Interesting about that, huh? Yeah, I thought that was. <laughs> It's. I mean, again, we're we're expected to just roll with it, but it is inconsistent that like in some time, like if that's the case, then if he shoots one of his atomic breaths and it doesn't just go into space, then it should shear through the crust of the Earth and like Los Angeles yeah. should get hit. You know what I mean? And then also, if that's the case, that straight hole of fire atomic breath right down to the center of the Earth. Why did they have to go through that portal? Exactly. I I was like, why? Yeah, I don't. Who knows, man? And uh, yeah, there was just no there was no callback to that in the when they, uh, you know, came back from this hollow earth. There was just no they just ignored it. Yeah. I want to talk about Hong Kong. Yes, there is a very (laughs) I think a very explicit reason and kind of an ugly reason that Hong Kong was chosen as the site of the battle. We'll put a pin in that idea. Okay. China is the, the China is the biggest movie market in the world. Yes. Most American audiences don't think about the fact that even like American studios are making movies based on the idea that they have to get approved by the Chinese censorship boards, the Chinese government. And by including a third act thing in China, that helps a lot and it usually gets people to watch it. I think one of the Transformers ends in Beijing or something like that. Yeah. And then there's like movies like uh 
there's like that like there was that great wall movie with matt damon yeah and that was like made just you know for another big china movie so they do this on purpose but you think there's more to it you're missing an important detail they didn't do it in beijing they didn't do it on mainland china they did it in hong kong and they did it in Hong Kong. If you follow the news at all, there's a lot of political dissidents in Hong Kong who want to be independent. They don't want to be part of China. And there's a huge mm. effort by the Chinese government right now to put down these protests, to put protesters in jail and, you know, basically say that they're traitors and that they don't they don't represent the people and that they're terrorists. Yes. I, yeah, I know the story. Now I know you're talking. I I had actually kind of forgotten about that, but I do know what you're talking because the NBA got into a huge thing, right. With it. So let's so let's think about. Um, you have a a movie where Hong Kong is leveled by the end. The Chinese government's going to think that's a pretty good thing, and that's a real ugly reason to set yeah. it in Hong Kong. It, again, you can't ignore that that is the climate under which you're asking China to approve a movie you know, the third act takes place in Hong Kong and levels it to the ground. Well, and like the other, like, I feel like the more obvious choice too would be for it to be without the outside world and reasons for that. It seems like for a Godzilla movie, it would make sense for that to be in Japan. Correct. Because that's like where Godzilla's from. Here's part two of being, of some real ugly history, huh? Japan doesn't have the best track record uh, when it comes to uh, relations with China. If you look at your uh, your 20th century history, there's a whole lot of, of um, Japanese efforts to subdue and take over. And so when you no longer are framing Godzilla as the Japanese atomic fear of another bomb, and you're suddenly just like taking that out of the context, it no longer makes sense for... Like, what, what country's government is going to want you to set your complete decimation of a major city in it? You can't do it in New York. You can't do it in D.C. anymore. You know what I mean? You can't have decimations of entire cities the way you used to unless they're fictional or no. unless the government of the country Natural is disasters still get away with it. Sure, but that's different, right? They this, still let it happen with natural disaster movies. But in, but in this yeah. case, the government, you know, China approved it because they don't, they want Hong Kong to be subdued. <laughs> and they couldn't do it in Tokyo because, again, like... Japan wouldn't want that, but they probably like a Japanese audience. And I'm painting with a broad brush, and I don't want to be, I don't want to bring up too much ugly political stuff on this podcast. But to me, the studios have to be thinking about these things, and they can't be oblivious to them. They know the same things I do. As a viewer, not everybody has to pick up on these things and everything. But if you are interested, there are a lot of real world things that go into movie decisions beyond the creative integrity of the story. Oh, yeah. Well, it's the reason Mephisto wasn't the big bad of WandaVision, because the Chinese censorship board won't allow you to depict devils in movies or television. Yeah. So things like that always, always seeping in. That said, the Hong Kong setting was very good for the actual fight. Oh, yeah, it's super. I mean, the the neon lighting makes for really cool color palettes. You get the thing of like King Kong climbing up buildings and using them to his advantage. I thought it was funny how how like well-trained of combatants Godzilla and King Kong are. They're like going for the ribs and like tripping them into like crashing their heads into buildings and like grabbing by the scruff. And you know what I mean? Like putting Kong puts Godzilla in a headlock. Yeah. <laughs> like a muzzle lock. And I just think that's like funny. Kong's trying to throw haymakers and the, in the first fight Kong throws a haymaker and then Godzilla just like bitch slaps him. Yeah. Open hand, just like get out of here. Um, and there's that thing where he jams the ax handle down Godzilla's throat, which I found out is like, among fans of Godzilla movies, I think there's a 68, 1968 movie of like Godzilla versus King Kong where Kong yeah. takes a tree and basically plunges Godzilla's throat. And that has become like a, a popular image among fans of the Godzilla f movies or like a thing people remember. So that's like a cult that has happened over and over again in movies where they fight each other that he like jams something into Godzilla's throat to stop him from doing the breath. Yeah, so the axe handle did that here. Of note in this yeah. one too, they did a good job. Now the first Hong Kong fight is it is nighttime. The set the sun is coming up in the in the second part yeah. of that fight where they fight Mechagodzilla. But there's the neon lighting that's really good. They don't cover it up with like a bunch of smoke or rain, which yeah. is like common in these kind of movies to like either you know not show you the whole monster or to cover up like bad CGI. Like yeah. that's a thing. 
but I think they're finally past that. And there's a lot of good wide shots in this where you can really tell where Godzilla is, where King Kong is as they're fighting. And that makes it much visually much more entertaining to watch. I thought this movie did a really, really exceptional job of giving us the scale of these creatures compared to real humans. And that they seem to be fairly consistent. The scale was pretty consistent throughout the whole thing. As you said, you got these beautiful wide shots that with you know, lesser practical effects or lesser CGI you just couldn't accomplish. And yeah, you got yeah. to see it in pure, unadulterated, uh, no rain, no fog, no smoke. You got to see the whole thing from start to finish, which again, that's what's on the tin. You came to see two big monsters fight each other, and that was cool. Then they team up they to team fight up another monster. To fight Mechagodzilla. I thought the Ghidorah thing, like they because they use the psychic energy of the Ghidorah skull, and this, the Ghidorah skull is inside of Mechagodzilla's like, frame, that mm-hmm. it's cool that basically the spirit Where's of Ghidorah. The third one? Yeah, that's a good. Is it... Well, isn't that a good question? That probably Ooh. is an outstanding thing that we need to think about. It's interesting that like they used that and that he became evil, and then of course now it's come. You can and there's no there's no human pilot inside of it, so there's like no reason they can't just decimate this thing. It is fully and wholly evil. They can rip it to shreds, and they do. And uh, there's even you know the cool moment of Kong like powering up the axe with Godzilla's Yeah, breath. I called it I was like I was like Kong with the alley oop or no, yeah, it was Godzilla, Godzilla with the, the alley oop yeah. and then Kong finishes it off. Yeah. Uh and I and you and he went for the head, by the way. Yes, I thought about that when he had the axe too. <laughs> I, I I think I said it out loud. I was like, go for the head. Yep. We know that now. Yeah. No, I, I thought I thought it was a fun movie. Obviously we've just spent the last hour picking apart the things that were either problematic or inconsistent, but it's fun. It's all it's supposed to be. It's a big dumb fun movie and apparently yeah. like HBO Max apparently it's had it's been the most viewed thing on HBO Max since it launched. Like I said the memes leading up to it. Big monkey fights big lizard. You get that. Right. It's great. It delivers. Did you notice they also so he's not a monkey, but they have the tech girl, the the daughter of the Apex CEO or yeah. whatever. They have her keep calling him a monkey and yeah. I think that's just another way to like, you know, like if you know enough, you know he's not a monkey and just like don't like this girl. She sucks. Yeah, and I also thought that her character was so almost too unlikable. Almost so like so unbelievably unlikable. She's like, yes, you should be impressed. Uh, and what can't can't we just dump the ape? When like Apex knows, in fact, no, you can't just dump the ape. Like, I'm she's so impressed with the technology, she doesn't think Kong is necessary. Even though Apex came to them to be like, you, well, ha- that's the other you thing. have to bring Kong. She's so into the technology and talking it up and being like, it's the best. We, we, we're going to be great. And then when they finally make their, are beginning their descent into the hollow earth, she like gets real nervous. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, so I guess you, you don't think your tech is the greatest. Cause you seem pretty confident earlier. And the tech, by the way, is, is it's like the most advanced technology that's ever been, except like a completely untrained scientist can jump in and pilot it when necessary. <laughs> Dr. Lin yeah, like, is the one that jumps in and flies. Yeah, we got to go. And then he knows how to fly it. He's doing just fine. Even Yeah, that's even worse than uh, Wonder Woman 84 when he's like, a plane's a plane. Although that's more believable that a, a fighter pilot could be a fighter pilot. I mean, yes, this, is a, this is a person with presumably no aeronautic training getting in the most advanced flying machine that mankind has ever created. And or like sometimes... <laughs> Sometimes you do like the kitschy thing where he's like a forklift operator or right. something like like a shipping container mover, you know, something exactly. where he understands machinery and he's and like, but no, he's not that. He's like a he's you know a theoretical. He's scientist. a geologist and like yeah, he's basically a geologist. <laughs> so, but again, don't go to this movie for the science. Go for the fights and the fights are good. And go for the moment where the daughter Maya Simmons. He, Kong picks up the thing and you can still hear her go no 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 and he just crunches because <laughs> that is pretty satisfying to just like have him do that sort of like fuck off move to them <laughs> just like crunch drop yeah. mm-hmm. he, and he doesn't even do it menacingly he just like it's like he's swatting a fly he just like crunches it and drops it and then goes about his business that's what you get from this too is like there's yeah there's no these monsters are just fighting each other. All this humans and buildings, it's all incidental. Yes. They don't care. It's not that they don't, like, they. 
it's beyond like not caring to the point where it's like, I don't care. I'll destroy it. They don't care at all. It's yes. like us walking on blades of grass. Well, it's it's that old thing that is often applied to, as I said, this is kind of a Lovecraftian story. It's that old thing that's applied to Cthulhu. It's like we're ants on the sidewalk. It's not that they have distaste for yes. us. They just don't care. They just have other things to care about than like whether or not paltry human beings. And, and that's and it's interesting then that they do have Kong have such a human connection to Gia, the little girl. But, it, mm -hmm. you know, maybe it's because she's the only one who's ever really been able to communicate with him. And they have that common thing that they're like the last survivors of Skull Island. I get that. But they simultaneously have Kong like have this human connection and also have no value for human life, essentially. Yeah. But I, I agree with you that I like it better than then like Kong is the ultimate savior of humanity. It's just that he's he's got this historical grudge against the Zillas and he's going to fight them. I like that. Exactly. Yeah. So there you have it. That's uh, Godzilla versus Kong. You can catch it for the next 20 or so days still, a little bit longer than that, whatever it is, on HBO Max. It's also still in theaters if you're somebody who's able to go to theaters. Let us know who you think should have won the fight and you can contact us at nerd on twitter that's at n-e-r-d underscore a-s-s-o-c you can also email us nerdassoc at gmail.com and let us know any other things you'd like for us to talk about maybe you could come on be one of our nerds and we hope to uh hear from you thanks for listening mm -hmm.